Let's review before we jump in our theme verse for this series. It's 1 Timothy chapter number 4, verses 7 and 8. Uh, this is Paul writing a letter uh, to a young pastor named Timothy in the city of Ephesus. And he says, Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. And so to set this whole series up in week one, we talked about the importance of training instead of trying. And so we're training ourselves for godliness in different important areas of our lives instead of simply trying and failing as we've done in the past. And so the Bible actually has a lot to say about money. You may not know that over 800 verses in the Bible refer to personal money and management of money and finances and treasures. And so the Bible's got a lot to say about money. And so because of that, we're going to read a lot of scripture uh, today. Um, I know that there's a tension uh, when it comes to money in church and that uh, people don't want to hear, you know, give more money to the church. And so that's not, that's not what today's about. So let me just go ahead and sell your hearts there. Today, my goal is to be helpful for you. If you feel like when it comes to money, your life's just out of shape. When it comes to money, if you just feel like, like you can never get ahead, like, like there's always light at the end of the tunnel, but the closer you seem uh, to get to, to feeling stable financially, something comes along and swipes your feet out from under you and you just find yourself back in a place of you know, arguing with family members over money, frustrated with money, trying to find ways to get more money, and uh, there's just never money enough. And so today, hopefully, will be helpful for you. A couple of months ago, uh, I had my four-year-old son landing with me, and we were at the hardware store, and I went to pick up a hose uh, for our grill to fix it, and uh, my son loves uh, lawn maintenance. He loves, you know, cutting grass with dad when I'm out in the yard, um, and one of his favorite things to do is, is to blow off the driveway and the sidewalks, and uh, so we, we go into this hardware store, and he immediately sees a display on the wall of backpack blowers. Now, my grandfather has a lawn maintenance business, and he has a backpack blower. Uh, and the backpack blower that my grandfather has is pretty heavy, and, and Landon's not strong enough to wear it. But he found on the wall a small size backpack blower. And his eyes just got huge, and he says, Daddy, Daddy, I want to go try it on. And I said, son, you are not here to get a backpack blower. We have this conversation. You may have this conversation with your kids. You know, we're going in here to get a hose for our grill. That's what we're going for, nothing else, okay? So we're only going to spend money on a hose for the grill. And uh, so he sees this, and my heart just, you know, I'm, I'm a softy. And I saw that, you know, he just wanted to try this backpack on and pretend like he was blowing. And so I got it down off the wall, and we put it on his back and he was just strong enough to keep it off the floor and he couldn't even really reach the handle so he just grabbed the hose and he was acting like he was blowing and he starts saying daddy daddy I want it this is my size I want it I want it and I said I have made a mistake here this is not good this is not good um, and so I was the dad that had the kid that was crying out in the store like please I just want the backpack blower and I was like trying to subdue him without making too big a scene and uh, it, it was getting out of control, and I finally just had to like get down on his face and say, boy, if you don't stop this right now, we're going to have a come-to-Jesus meeting when we leave here. And so I threatened his life and made him fearful, and he stopped his little tantrum just long enough for us to get out the door. And on the way home, he was so confused, so confused, and he was just saying, well, Daddy, why can't I have that blower? Papa's got a backpack blower. Why can't I have a backpack blower? And I said, son, that backpack blower was almost $300. 
I can't spend $300 for you to have a backpack blower right now. And he said, well, well why not? Why can't, you, why can't you buy it for me? I really want it. And I found myself having to get down on a very, very fundamental level and help Landon understand some concepts of financial stewardship. And I was just explaining on the ride home, you know, son, mommy and daddy, we have jobs. And we work, and when we work, we receive money for the work that we do. And now the money that we receive, it's only so much. And so we have to decide how we're going to spend it and where we're going to spend it. And son, I'm sorry, but just 300 of those dollars isn't going to make it to getting you a backpack blower. And he's, you know, he got all, but daddy, I, I can get money out of my piggy bank. And I said, son, you don't have $300 in your piggy bank. You know, that's, that's awesome that you want to do that, but uh, we can't get it. And uh, I think, I think a lot of times some of us just need to hear like a really fundamental, basic concept reminder, like I gave my son Landon, how finances work and the important things that God says about money when it comes to our relationship with money in our life. You know, a lot of us have this, this, false, uh, this false ownership of the money that we have. It's false ownership. Uh, you know, Psalm chapter number 24, it says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Okay, so we understand that if we believe the Bible, if we believe uh, in God, that he created everything, and everything in the world is his. Everything in the world, everything that he created, it's all his. And he has entrusted to our care the ability to look over some of that. And I know that some of you, you push back when you hear that and you say, well, you know, God didn't work as hard as I worked to get the money that I have. And he didn't save up to buy the things that I've got. And the things that I've invested in, God didn't have anything to do with. I did that all on my own. And I just want to remind us of uh, a verse of Scripture in Deuteronomy chapter number 8 uh, in reference to the children of Israel, a reminder that God gave them. This is Deuteronomy 8, starting in verse 17. It says, You may say to yourself, My power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. Here's, here's the basic premise reminder for all of us. Is that we were given the ability that we have to attain wealth, to gain money. God blessed us with jobs. He blessed us with talents and abilities. He blessed us with minds that were geared certain ways. He gave us opportunities. And so, so many times we fail to see the reality of his blessing in the provision that we have. And we think that we're in charge of our own situation. And sometimes we need to be reminded of that. I want to I read the, the back end of a parable that Jesus taught his disciples. It's, it's found in Luke chapter number 16. And uh, it's, it's a parable called the parable of the shrewd manager. And it's a, it's a man who manages money for a master. And he wasn't a good manager of his master's money. And so his master came to him and said, you know, you're not going to manage my money anymore. You haven't done a good job. Does anybody ever feel like, you know, if the money that you have weren't yours, that maybe you haven't done such a great job managing someone else's money? So if our money actually is God's and he's blessed, it with us, blessed us with it, uh, if you're like me, you feel at times like, I've made some mistakes with my money. I've made some purchases. I've made some dumb decisions when it comes to my money. And possibly the master 
would be in a position to be able to say to me, you know, you haven't done a great job managing my money, but, but this man was shrewd enough to say, uh, okay, before my time with you is over, I need to go speak with some people. And so he goes to some of the people who owe his master's money and he begins to reduce their debt in such a way that he gains relationship with them. And his master actually commends him with this so that when his job ends, he had formed some relationships in some other areas. But I wanted just to remind us today that we're managers, we're stewards, that's a biblical term for a manager. That everything that we have has been entrusted to us by God and the money that we have in our bank accounts, in our investment accounts, in our retirement accounts, in our savings accounts, cash in our pockets, everything that we have, we're managers of. And the decisions that we make should be founded on, if we want to be followers of Christ, the things that God teaches us in his word. So today, here's what we're going to do. We're going we're to take a simple approach to how we should go about spending God's money and how we should go about handling and managing the money that he's given us. The series is called Fit Club, and in the first week, we talked about the importance of diet and exercise to fitness. And most importantly, we said underneath that, we need to have a plan. So we've got a plan, we've got a diet, we've got exercise. They all result in good fitness. If we neglect diet, we're not going to be as fit as we should be. If we neglect exercise, we're not going to be as fit as we should be. And if we don't have a plan, we're definitely not going to find ourselves in great shape. And so here's what we're going to do uh, for the next few moments together when it comes to money. is We're going to look at uh, two, uh, two things in our diet, and we're going to look at three things that we should do to be exercising. Okay, so two things in our diet, three things should be exercising. And we're going to leave with a plan that's going to help us manage God's money. First thing in our diet, a staple in our diet, something that has to be at the heart of our diet when it comes to our finances, is contentment. It's contentment. There's this lie in our world that says if we can just have more money, then all of our problems will disappear. If we can just have more money, then we could buy the things that we need to make ourselves happy, that we wouldn't stay up at night restlessly worrying about how the bills are going to be paid or how we're going to take care of the next week's meals. If we just had more money, then we would have more fun in life. If we just had more money, we wouldn't fight with our spouses nearly as much as we do. And money, we think, can solve our problems. And so there's this discontentment that we naturally have, this longing for more money, this frustration with not enough money, this false desire that if things were different in our situation, then we would be happier. But we've got to make sure that contentment, which brushes against that mentality, is at the heart of our diet if we're going to be fit financially. Listen to what Hebrews chapter number 13, verse 5 says. It says, keep your lives free from the love of money. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. God's basically saying, I'm all you need. I'm all you need, so, so keep your lives free from the love of money. You should be more dependent on me because I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you, than you should be on money. Be content with what you have. I'll be the first to tell you that that's, that's a difficult vegetable to eat. That sometimes when it comes to contentment, I see people in my life, in my same stage of life, my same age, and they have more than I have, 
and, and in some ways they're more successful than I am. And I feel like if I could just do things differently, then I would have more success and I would measure up with them differently. And I long for a day when there's no more pressure on my finances. And I long for a day when simple emergencies don't break the bank. And I long for the days when I can be in so-and-so's shoes because that, to me, would make me happy. But here's the reminder. Here's a reminder that what I have now, I've been blessed with from God. And I must, I must learn to be faithful with what I have now. 1 Timothy chapter number 6, verses 6 through 8, it says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into a temptation and a trap, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. And then listen to this last verse. For the love of money is a root to all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. If we're not careful, we can love money. And you may not know this, but money is actually a competitor to God. And for many people, money is a God that's worshipped through service and longing and pursuing and a deep desire for. And it's easy for us to desire money and things and material things more than we desire God because we're discontent, we're uncontent. But when we get to the place in our faith that we allow ourselves to become content with what we have now, then we'll find ourselves on the road to being more healthy. In Luke chapter number 16, he ends by, I mean, he begins that by saying, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. This is kind of a place that God had my family in a couple of years ago. When I began to long for more and want to take steps that would give me further in my career to make more money, I began to feel like God just pressed on my heart, like, are you a good manager? Are you trustworthy with what you have now? And if the answer to that is no, why in the world do you think I would bless you with more? And so a good starting place for us if we want to be content is just simply to say, how am I with what I have now? How do I handle what I have now? What God's blessed me with in this season of my life, do I manage it well? Am I trustworthy? Is God pleased with how I handle those finances? And I think to my son, if the answer to that was no, I wouldn't give my son more money. If you gave your children money and they didn't handle it appropriately, you would stop giving your children money until they learned how to handle it better. Yet somehow when we grow up, we fall right back into the same traps that we were in in childhood. And we want more than we can afford. And we live beyond our means because we have a longing for more money rather than a contentment with God's, with what our, God's already given us. And so the first thing that has to be in our diet is contentment. So if you, if you consume contentment, if contentment consumes you, then you're on the track to fitness. And the second thing in our diet is, is something that, that can never be in our diet if we're going to be financially fit, if we're going to be money fit. 
if we're going to be faithful with what God's given us. And that's debt. That's debt. And I know, I know that debt is a way of life today. And I know that we measure success financially based on how much money we can borrow. Some of us are extremely proud of our credit score, which just means we're really good at borrowing money from people, which means we're really good at getting things that we can't afford and finding ways to make it happen so that we can live beyond our means. And I know that it's a way of life, and I know that it seems like credit is so necessary in today's world. And we have mortgages, and we have car payments, and there's credit cards, and then, uh, you, you know, we finance all kinds of things, don't we? Let me, let me be honest with you here. First year of marriage. First, first year of marriage. Wanted to have more than I could afford. Wanted to provide for my wife. Listen to the things that I did and then listen to how I justified it, okay? Um, I financed furniture for a condo that I financed while I was financing a car to drive. Um, I financed a ring to put on my wife's, my fiance's finger. Uh, and then uh, we got married and I financed a honeymoon trip so that we could celebrate our marriage together. I started out my first year in marriage with a heart of debt lording over me. And somehow I thought that I was in a great place because what could I do? I could make payments on it all. Now here's, here's how I justified it. Here's how I justified it. I said, you know, there are people who are really bad with money. There are people who don't handle money very well. But as a young man, I have, I have a good credit score. I've always paid my bills on time. To that point, in years beyond, I had never paid one cent in interest on a credit card. And I thought I was in a great place financially. Every loan that I got for a ring, for a car, for a honeymoon, for furniture, aside from a mortgage, was all interest-free because of my credit score. And I said to myself, I'm not paying any interest, so it's just like someone's fronting me some money. There's nothing wrong with that. And so a couple of months into our marriage, Lindsay and I uh, just got really real with ourselves, and we went through a financial class, and uh, we decided that it was important for us to get out of debt, not to owe people money. And in just a little over a year, we paid off about $24,000 worth of debt, which told, me, which told me that there was no need for me to borrow that money. There was just a need for me to be a better steward and be in a better place financially. And then life goes on and we forget principles and I found myself having a child and feeling like, well, we've got to have a better, bigger car to carry all the stuff that goes with having a kid. And so we went out and we interest-free financed another vehicle that we're almost finished paying off now. And I said again, well, it's okay because we're not paying any interest and they're just affording us money. And this is something we need, we've got to have. Isn't that what we always tell ourselves? It's something we need, we've got to have. 
Here's the thing we've got to understand about debt. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 7 says, The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. When you're in debt, you're a slave. And when you're a slave, you're not free. And that's why we stay up sleepless nights. And that's why we stay frustrated because we've extended ourselves to what we can make payments on. And we've allowed debt to rule over us. And we've become slaves financially to something God never intended for us to be slaves to. And we feel like we're in great places financially, but truth be told is is we're slaves. We're slaves to it. Romans chapter 13, verse 8. This is encouragement from Paul. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. Forever loves others has fulfilled the law. The only debt that we should have as Christians is the debt to love people. We're obligated to that. That's, that's the debt that we should be slaves to, is to love others based in Christ. We, we shouldn't be slaves to finance companies. We shouldn't be slaves to parents. We shouldn't be slaves to relatives because you know and I know that until a debt is canceled, until a debt is paid for, there's always a tension in a relationship. There's nothing greater than paying a last payment on the car. There's nothing greater than paying a last payment on an interest-free credit card that you got for 18 months so that you could afford something, so that you could purchase something you couldn't afford. And there's a freedom that comes with saying, I don't owe anyone anymore. And here's, here's the beauty and the connection of debt and our approach to debt when it comes to following Christ. About three and a half years ago, God called Lindsay and I to plant a church here in Winder, Georgia. And at the time, we didn't know anyone, anything, except for a condo and a car. We had reconciled all of our other debt. We had just taken on another car payment, which was unwise. But we didn't foresee that we were going to be planning a church. And here, here's, the, here's the truth of the situation. Had we not gotten a better grip on our financial place, we would not have been able to obey God and do what he called us to do. Because we would have been obligated financially not to be able to take a step away from the income that we had and pursue an opportunity that would cut our income in half. And so the question for you is, it's like, I know, I know it's far-fetched, I know that you never think it'll happen, but just what if? What if God calls you to do something and it's his plan for you to take a job that makes less money? It's his plan for you to relocate to another place. It's his plan for you to, you fill in the blank. And you have to say, God, I would love to. I have a heart to do that, but... I owe all these people money and there's just no way I can do it. That's the defeated position that we're in as Christians when we owe people money. So, so our goal, our first goal, our ultimate goal is to be content. Is to say, God, what I have now is enough. What you've blessed me with now is enough. And our second goal is to eliminate all of our debt. Is to owe no one nothing except love. And if we can focus on those two things and that can be the diet that we consume 
She'll say, from this day forward, I'm leaving here and I will never put anything else on a credit card that I can't afford. I'm leaving here today and I will never borrow money to purchase something that I can't afford. I'm leaving here today and I will never incur more debt and I will make it my life's mission in this season to eliminate every debt that I have. You say, well, that's, you know, it's, it's very theoretical and, you know, it seems, it seems great. So, you know, how do you do that? Well, uh, there's a lot of things you have to do. You, know, you, can, you can get extra jobs. You can cut out things that you have now. There's all kinds of things you're going to do. We're going to talk about some of that later on. But the key is to say, I can see a place in my future where I don't owe anyone anything. And that's where I want to be so that I'm content and I'm debt-free. And now I'm fully alive to serve God and do anything that he calls me to do. So that's our diet. Lots of contentment. Avoid the junk food of debt. And then we're going to get on the exercise plan. And financial exercise is not always fun. Can we just say that? There are some exercises that you do that are just not fun, but you do them because you know they're necessary. And you understand that I hate doing this, but if I don't do this, you know, my stomach's going to look a certain way. You know, I'm not going to get results. You know, I'm not going to be able to do what I want to do unless I do these certain exercises that I hate. And that's kind of, that's kind of an approach that we have with finances. It's kind of a love-hate relationship. But here's, here's three exercises that I'm going to give you in a specific order that I think if you can maintain the diet we just talked about, contentment and no debt, and you can exercise these three exercises, then you're going to be on your way to financial fitness. Remember, it's training. It's not trying. It's not immediate. Trying is a one-time approach to do something that either results in success or failure. Training says, I'm looking at something down the road. I'm looking towards something and becoming something down the road that I'm not now. And I'm going to work at it, not one time, but over time until I achieve my goals. So here's our first exercise. Everybody's either like, this is so elementary that I don't need this. Or everybody's like, I'm screwed. Because nobody's even looking at me. It's okay. You always need to know that I'm preaching to myself first. Your first exercise is to give. It's to give. You give first. When you make money, when you get increase, you give first. I want to spend a lot of time here. I preached a sermon last December, December of 2012, in a series called Financial Peace on Earth, and I specifically taught about the biblical principle of tithing. Uh, so we believe that as a church, the Bible teaches us that we should set a goal to give away 10% of our income to the local church. You can go back and find that message and listen to it. Uh, I'm not going to spend a ton of time there, but I do want to read uh, a passage in Malachi, chapter number 3, starting in verse number 8. And it says, Will a man rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how do we rob you? And his answer is in tithes and offerings. So when we fail to give to God, we fail to return to him what's his to begin with. Remember, we're just managers. Uh, then God considers that robbing. He says, you are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Tithe is a word that simply means tenth. 
that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. That sounds really good to me. So much blessing that I can't contain it, that I don't have room for it. And it costs me 10% of my money. That sounds like a good investment to me. And he goes on to say, I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. So he gives us this blessed life when we honor him with the first tenth of our income. It's giving, it's giving. When we give, it reminds us that it's not all about us. It keeps us from becoming greedy. It keeps us becoming self-focused in the area of our finances. And so we always give first. You say, I can't give 10%. You give 1%. You say, I can't give 1%. And give half a percent. You got to start somewhere. But if you don't exercise giving, then you're always going to be a consumer. And you're always going to think that everything is just for me. And it's always going to cause you to want more and do more. And so it creates a margin in your finances that just says, you know what? I don't have to have everything for me. And so I can honor God with what he's given me to start with. We believe in this so much at our church that um, we have a tithing challenge. It's a 90-day tithe challenge. It's, it's open-ended. Anyone can do it anytime. We believe so much in the principle of tithing that, that, that we challenge people for 90 days to put God first in the area of their finances, to give 10% of their income to the local church. And if you'll do that after 90 days, if God hasn't met your needs, if he hasn't held up to his promise of blessings that we read in the scripture, then we'll give you your money back. And so it's a, it's a way for you to test the waters and just say, I'm going to try tithing. I've never done this. Now, we won't do this if you give 2%. You, so you, there's some stipulations. We won't do it if you only give it for one week. We're not going to give you your money back. So just know that there's some stipulations there. You can go to synergychurch.cc forward slash giving and there's a link to that tithe challenge if you feel like that's a place that you want to start. And we would love to walk with you on a journey towards exercising in the area of giving. We give first. It reminds us that we've got to have that margin in our income, in our finances that, that reminds us it's not all about us. It keeps us being generous people keeps us from becoming so self-centered that we long for more than we can afford. And then after we give, it's important for us to save. We give first and then we save second. Financial advisors would say the minimum that you should save for retirement is 10% of your gross income. You say, well, I'm not there. And here's, here's the reminder that, that we need to have is that emergencies will come. Things will happen in life that will cost money. And if we haven't prepared for those emergencies or those life circumstances or situations, then we're going to be up the creek. And we're probably going to have to borrow money. And so we're going to become a slave again. And so we've got to train ourselves to save, you've got to have a plan. You've got, you've got to know that there's things coming down the road that you're going to have to pay for. You've got to know that there's coming a day in your life where you're going to retire and you're going to have to have some kind of income to live off of. You know that there's coming a day when your kids are going to go to college. You know there's coming a day where your insurance payment is coming due because you decided to pay every six months and you know that there's coming a day where that's going to be due 
And so rather than spending all of your income every month leading up to that and getting to the sixth month and saying, how am I going to make this payment? You should be setting money aside. Here's what the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 21, verse 20. The wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all he has. And I wonder how many of us, no show of hands, how many of us live paycheck to paycheck? How many of us devour everything that comes through our hands and we never save? We never prepare for the rainy day. We never forecast in our finances something that we know is coming and we're just not wise enough to prepare for. We've got to give first, but we've got to save second. There's got to be an area in our lives where we save. I'm a huge fan of Dave Ramsey. Dave Ramsey is a Christian financial expert that teaches handling money God's way. Uh, and he uh, helps in the area of preparing for our finances. Now, until we're at a place where we're debt-free, he doesn't recommend saving money while you're paying interest to someone else. That's not wise as well. So remember our diet first. Be content, no debt, and then we're going to give and we're going to save. Proverbs 6, verse 6 says, Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, but it stores up provisions in the summer and gathers its fruit at harvest. I like to watch... Uh, documentaries that Lindsay could care nothing about, but there's this show called Alaska, The Final Frontier, I believe is what it's called. And um, I don't know what show it comes on because it's on Netflix. But um, they have hard winters there. I want to go live there just one winter just to see if I could survive. But when winter passes and, and spring approaches, they have about three months of spring and summer all tied together. And you know what they do? They don't go on vacations and they don't go down to the beach. They work incredibly hard for three months out of every year simply to save up enough resources to survive the winter. So that's what their life's all about. Is they're taking their cattle to a place where they're going to be well fed so that they can take care of their barns and so that they can cut the hay and so that they can... All the things that they're doing, cutting the firewood... And it's all because they're preparing for the remaining eight to nine months of the year. And I thought, you know, we have such an opposite mentality when it comes to our finances. As we see three months, four months of the year of sunshine, of good weather, and we've been cooped up in a house, we've been cold, we've been limited in what we could do for so long, and we finally get a little bit of freedom, and we want to go to the beach we want to go to the lake. We want to enjoy the weather. We want to play. We want to have fun. We want to enjoy life. And then when winter comes again, we act like we didn't know it was coming. And we find ourselves in such a place that we're like, how are we ever going to get through this? How are we ever going to survive? And the answer is you've got to save. It's got to be built into your plan. It's got to be something that you make a habit of. It's got to be a, a, a fundamental exercise that you partake in. You give first, you save second, and then third, you live on a budget. You live on a budget. No one's a fan of this, 
This is that exercise that you dread. This is that exercise that you've done for a week, that you've done for two months, and that you got tired of, and it was hard, and it was meticulous, and it took up time. We don't balance checkbooks. We just spend money, and then we go look at the account, and we say, hopefully there's enough there to cover it. We fail to tell our money where it's going to go, and we allow our money to tell us how we're going to live. It's backwards. We don't budget. We don't know where our money's going. We see opportunities and we spend money. It, it seems okay. We look at the bottom line of our bank accounts and there's money there, and so we think we can go spend money. But we don't budget. And if you're going to be financially fit, if fitness in the area of your finances is going to lead you to a place where you're at a healthy place, where there's peace, where there's hope, where there's security, where you're not worried all the time and stressed out and you're not fighting with one another over decisions that you've made, then you have to have a budget. It's not optional. Unless you just somehow make so much money that you could never spend it, you need to have a budget. You've got to. It's, it's foundational to financial fitness. Luke chapter number 14, verse 28 says, Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying this person began to build but wasn't able to finish. Do you count the cost in the area of your finances? Do you sit down with a structured plan and say, this is where all of my money is going, and you spend it on paper before you spend it in life. Do you find yourself at a place, typically at the end of the month, right before a paycheck comes, where you're like, I don't know how I got to this place, and I don't know how I'm going to pay that next bill, but hopefully something will happen and change until you get that next paycheck. And then somehow you survive it, and you forget the condition you were just in, and you do the same thing the next month. When's the last time you said no to someone because of a plan that you had financially called a budget? Called a budget. This is huge in, uh, in our family right now. Uh, we've had stretches of our life where we've lived on a very strict budget. Uh, most of the time it was out of necessity. Uh, there's been other times where we've become very relaxed in this area and we had something on paper but we didn't really go by it and uh, so we thought we were good because we had something on paper and uh, we found ourselves like how do we get back into this position again and uh, it's in those moments where we don't sit down together and plan where we're going to spend our money before we spend it that we begin to argue and Lindsay says did you really need and I say, well, why did you spend? And we argue back and forth. Have you, ever, have you sat down and looked at how much money you spend on eating out? Have you, have you sat down and said, this is how much money I've spent and this is how much money I have and I'm going to have to stop spending that so that I can survive, so that I can be fit? For a lot of us, the answer is, is no. And we find ourselves in desperate situations or we don't know how we're going to survive. Verse 20, uh, Proverbs chapter 27, 
Verse 23 says, Be sure you know the condition of your flocks and give careful attention to your herds. In this day, speaking to people who worked out in the fields, it was important for them to know exactly what they had, an inventory of all they had, livestock, cattle in the fields. Because until you know exactly what you have, you never know how you can spend it. There's so many great budgeting platforms that we can use to that. There's no excuse for us not to do this. But, but here's the importance of exercising financially. About three months ago, and I'm not going to go into a lot of detail here, but I felt God was calling our family into a, a new situation a new way of life, a new opportunity that was presented before us. And God just kind of burdened on my heart. This is, this is where I want you to go. This is, this is how I want you to lead your family. And we had once before had our income cut in half so that we could plant a church, and God provided and he blessed that. And now we're, we're at a place where we're going to make a decision to do about the same thing. And it's an opportunity that we have, not, not for me to like leave the church. We're not doing anything crazy like that. We're not starting another church. We're not doing anything stupid. But we're making a decision that's going to, it's going to decrease our income so that we can be obedient to God. And the only way that we can do it and the only way that I was able to do it was to sit down with pen and paper and just say, this is the money that I'm going to have coming in. And this is what I feel you've called us to do, God. And let's just think through every possible scenario of money that we will need to spend and survive on. Let's give first. Let's save second. And then let's take that remaining 80% of our income and let's just spend it all on paper and see what happens. And what happened when we sat down was we realized that God had provided just enough if we would steward and manage his money the way he called us to, to be able to be obedient to him once again and do what he's called us to do in losing about half of our income. Are we going to be rich? <laughs> Negative. Will we be saying no to a lot of you who might invite us out to eat? Absolutely. We're going to be the party poopers for a season in our life. We're going to be the people that don't do a lot for a season in our life. But the reason it's worth it is because God's called us to do it. And if God's called us to do it, I'm committed enough to pursuing him with everything that's in me that I'm willing to be content with what I have and I can make sure that if we can survive without debt, and we can give, and we can save, and we can live on a budget, then we're going to be okay. We're going to have peace in our family. We're going to love one another. We're going to experience the blessings that God's promised us in his word. We're not going to worry. We're not going to be stressed out. And you say, I can't imagine losing half of my income. There's no way it could happen. And I would just say to you, if God told you to, that he would make a way for it to happen. But you've got to do your part in being the manager that he's called you to be 
of the monies that he's given you and entrusted to your care. You've got to be a good steward. So if we want to be financially fit, we've got to have a great diet and we've got to exercise. We've got to have the plan. We're going to give first, save second, live off the rest. We're going to, we're going to have a healthy diet of contentment. We're going to refuse debt. And we're going to see God do incredible things in our lives. I want you to imagine, before we close, I want you to imagine life where you don't worry about your finances. I want you to imagine a life where, where you don't owe anyone anything. I want you to think about how good it would feel to go to sleep at night and not worry how you're going to pay for a bill that's coming up. I want you to think about the, the relationship, the friction in the relationship between a husband and a wife, between parents and kids, and how much better that relationship would be if finances wasn't a constant struggle in the topics of discussion. I want you to think about the freedom that you would experience if you were able to fully obey God in everything that he called you to do. Listen, I can't wait for today for a day when God is able to say to me because I've been a good enough steward of the money he's given me that he wants me to buy someone a car. I can't wait for that day. Can he say that to me now? No. Why not? Because I'm not in that place financially. I haven't, I haven't stewarded the money that he's given me well enough for him to do that. But can you imagine a day where you're at such a great place financially and God's blessed you so much and you've been so faithful of what he's given you that he can just say, you know what? They haven't had a vacation in forever. Would you just pay for them to go to the beach? And you're like, yeah, that's fun. I'd love to do that. You know what? They, they, they don't have a lot right now. And I want to just go buy groceries for them. That's what I feel like the Lord's leading me to do. I just want to go. You haven't had a lot. I don't want you to feel like I'm all in your business, but I just felt led like, Here's a couple hundred bucks of groceries, and I hope it helps. I hope it's a blessing to you. Can you imagine the joy that comes from being at a place in life where you're free enough to bless others the way God's blessed you? It only happens by being content with what you have, staying out of debt, giving first, saving second, and living on a budget. And if we'll do that, we'll be fit, and we'll enjoy life like we've never enjoyed before. Let's pray together. Father, you're good and you're incredible. We thank you first and foremost for how you've blessed us to this point. And we confess together, Lord, that we haven't been the best stewards of the money you've given us. And there's been some areas that we've neglected. We haven't managed the money that you've given us well in a lot of areas. And we just say we're sorry for that, Lord. We pray that you would give us the strength and the discipline and the, the power and the, the determination and the will to pursue a fit life with our money. That we would make giving a priority. That we would save for the future. That we would be so intentional about how we're going to spend the money that we have that we're able to say no to things that normally distract us. And so I pray for all of us here together, Lord, that you would 
just give us a, a breath of fresh air in the area of our finances, that this could be the year, that this could be the season of our life, that we would make strides toward being free in the area of our finances, that we could enjoy the fruit that you've blessed us with. We thank you for who you are and for what you've given us. And I pray, Lord, that we would manage your money well. In Jesus' name, amen.